You are listening to the Wild Buck Podcast, home of the best deer, exotic, and big game hunting throughout Texas, the U.S., and Mexico. Let's jump right in. Today on Wild Buck, we are taking a look at CWD, chronic wasting disease, and how it's affecting deer hunting as well as the lives of our beloved white-tailed deer in Texas with special guest, wildlife biologist Macy Ledbetter. Macy, it's good to talk to you again, sir. Thank you for having me. Yes, sir. How are you, man? Doing pretty good, pretty good. You and I have spoken on several occasions. Uh, We've hung out at the TDA annual convention. We've uh, collaborated on several supplemental feed materials, such as protein feed and cottonseed. And the common denominator in all of our discussions is the improvement, well-being, and health of whitetail deer, whether wild or managed. It's safe to say deer lives matter to you and I. With a lot of things suddenly mattering these days, we're going to discuss if CWD, chronic wasting disease, truly matters. Is that something you can discuss, sir? Yes, sir. That sounds great. I'm ready. What exactly is CWD? CWD is a neurological disease that affects cervid species by impacting their central nervous system. The C in chronic wasting disease, the C stands for chronic, meaning fatal. The W stands for wasting, meaning that the disease is degenerative over time and currently is not known to be reversible. And the D stands for disease, which means it can be transferred from one susceptible animal to another susceptible animal. So it was first identified in a research facility in Colorado way back in 1967. So this is not a brand new disease. It's been around quite some time. So CWD affects the central nervous system, and that includes your brain, your spinal cord, uh, lymph nodes, that kind of stuff. Not the muscular system, but the, the, the central nervous system. What all wildlife does it affect? That's a good question. I get this all the time because, you know, if you read the media, it kind of gets scary the way they present it. But CWD only affects cervid species. Those are herbivore animals with split hooves that produce antlers on an annual or seasonal basis within the deer family. So, for example, cervids are moose elk, caribou, reindeer, white-tailed deer, and mule deer. Now, there's a handful of exotic species that also call into that, exotic being non-native. They're not from North America. They were brought over from another continent, if you would. So exotic species also impacted include red deer or red stag and psyca deer and their crosses or their hybrids because those two exotic species are very closely related to elk. Now, elk in Texas are considered an exotic species, but that's an entirely different podcast discussion why and how that happened. But majority of people recognize elk as a native big game animal to North America, and that's true. 
but there's there's several different subspecies and texas currently has one of the subspecies that wasn't here originally that's why they've kind of been thrown into the exotic uh, industry i guess if you would as in texas so so in texas cwd affects our native whitetail and mule deer species and exotic species such as elk red deer cyca and any hybrid or cross thereof because all of most of those animals do crossbreed uh, it does not affect other exotic deer type species such as axes or fallow deer it does not affect them so this is not just in texas this is throughout the united states as well yes yes and, and even other countries they, they they have it in reindeer they've they six or seven other countries in addition to the united states and canada have it so yeah it, it, it is a real disease how exactly does it affect them again it, it impacts their central nervous system and so down on the, the molecular level <clears throat> excuse me it impacts the the basically the the helix the 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 cell walls that that create everything are made up of of helix structures and within those helix structures there are things called prions and when these prions get into a condition that they don't like you know whether they're lacking some nutritional value or there's some other stimuli that, that we're still understanding those prions fold they they, they go in half and normally in, in a good cell replication, they can unfold themselves and, and go on about their business. But for some reason, this chronic wasting disease, they fold and they stick. And then they begin to replicate in that stuck, folded fashion. So now all of a sudden, you're trying to build a cell from the molecular level, and it doesn't work because you're, you're dealing with broken <laughs> broken structures if you would and so that's why it takes over time the the wasting disease as these cells replicate themselves they're replicating themselves in an unhealthy manner so as those increase then the performance of the animal decreases thus the wasting part of the chronic wasting disease so once once those little prions fold in half they they stick they stay folded but then they begin to replicate themselves as folded prions and as that builds up over time and over volume it starts creating a lots of neurological diseases so the animal starts losing body function starts losing appetite it might foam at the mouth it may not act like a normal deer then the other deer realize something's wrong they'll separate themselves from it and then eventually the animal will, you know, stop swallowing, stop drinking, stop eating. And then their their physical appearance, you know, now they get skinny because they're not eating. Um, and it may be because they can't even function. They can't, you know, control their body movement enough to, to get over there to eat and that kind of stuff. So it's a, a very slow, degenerative, inhumane process. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like the symptoms are very, very noticeable. In the later stages, they are. Yeah, yeah. In Texas, what CWD testing options are currently available? Prior to 2015, the only testing method was to kill the animal and remove the, the bottom part of the brain where the brain and the spinal cord connect 
where, where, where that intersection is, it's called the brain stem. <clears throat> and so prior to 2015, the animal had to be euthanized, killed, whatever you want to say. It had to kill the animal to, to pull the brain out to be tested. In 2015, I assembled a team of veterinarians and deer breeders, and together we created the nation's very first live testing procedures that involved the lymph nodes of the neck, the tonsils, obviously lower in the neck, and the rectal sampling technique. So right now, there's two general testing methods used. One of them's called post-mortem testing, those animals killed to use the brainstem method, and the anti-mortem testing, those animals that are tested while alive using tissue samples. Okay, you just talked about the uh, the post-mortem test. Um, tell us a little bit more about the live testing. Okay, the, the anti-mortem test consists of in any mortem, mortem literally means before death. If you translate it or look it up, that's what anti-mortem means, before death. So thus, live animal testing. So that's where we can temporarily sedate an animal, or we can run them through a handling facility like a you know a chute or or a, a drop gate or whatever, and while they're alive, and collect the samples for the testing purposes. We don't have to kill the animal to pull the brainstem out to say, oh, this animal's healthy. You know, we shouldn't have killed it, but too late now. So so the brainstem cannot be tested on live animals for obvious reasons, but our work in 2015 proved that you can instead use the lymph nodes, technical name is a retropharyngeal lymph node, deep in the neck, in the tonsils, in the throat, and then the rectal mucosa, which is the rectum, tissues to safely and easily sample the deer without killing them. Our live animal research also proved that these same areas will provide accurate test results long before the brainstem method, which means there is no need to harvest an animal to test it because you can you can live test it, and, and those live test samples, because of their location throughout the body, will oftentimes show positive results quicker, sooner than the brainstem. Why are government entities, namely Texas Parks and Wildlife, putting down breeding facility deer if live tests are available? That is a great question, and, and it's a difficult answer because this is what Parks and Wildlife established early on. Before they adopted these live animal tests, Again, prior to 2015, you just had to go out there and chop the heads off of all these very healthy deer that you wanted to get tested. And CWD is a sneaky type disease, and the animals can be exposed to it, can carry it, can even spread it, yet show no early signs of having the disease. Mm -hmm. Much like the more recent conversations we've had with COVID and folks being asymptomatic. You know, you can contract it, you can spread it, yet you personally not get sick from it because you're asymptomatic. And CWD is, is similar in that regards. Now, I'm not comparing them. They're not identical. I'm just saying that within that two-year period of a deer having CWD, he's able to spread it to his neighbor or his buddy, but he's not showing those signs of CWD where we talked about him being skinny and emaciated and walking in circles and all that. So, so CWD 
you, you can have early onset positive CWD and appear on all outward appearances to be asymptomatic, like we're thinking of, of, of the COVID. Um, so, so it has that real slow incubation period up to two and a half years long. And so when deer are in direct contact with a CWD positive facility, Parks and Wildlife has made their own internal decision to kill those specific animals because of that prolonged incubation period. So, so you're hearing about some of these deer breeders are having to kill X amount of animals. Well, those animals that are they're, they're killing because they came directly from a CWD positive. In other words, those animals could be asymptomatic, and it would be a lot more difficult to 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 determine do they really have it or do they not. So that's why some breeders are killing the deer because they're directly tied to what they call the source or the, the most recent positive. But yet other breeders are not having to kill their animals or doing the live animal testing. So so that's the designation. Parks and Wildlife says we, we are going to euthanize all animals with direct contact to a positive. But if you don't have direct positives, then we can live test. Yeah, so it sounds like it is affecting deer breeders the most. Um, how else are deer breeders being affected by CWD? Well, you, you get getting this negative connotation that you're hearing about that you know breeders are, are, are corrupting the wild deer, and, and that's simply not the case. Thirty-one uh, percent of all CWD positives in the state of Texas are free-range deer. You know, you didn't hear last fall. Last fall, there were 11 free-range mule deer positive CWDs and five free-range whitetail. So 16, 16 positive free-range deer. You didn't hear much about that, did you? They, they didn't enact emergency rulemaking authorities over 16, but yet they did with these here, and you're hearing more about it. So you got to be careful what you read and how you read it because the facts are we had 16 free-range positive deer, both in whitetail and mule deer, and you didn't hear hardly anything about it, but it happened, and it just happened recently. But you're hearing a lot more of this, you know, pin-raised deer, and oh my gosh, they're going to contract to our, pos- you know, our, our free-range deer. Well, these 11 free-range mule deer there wasn't a deer breeding operation within hundreds of miles, hundreds. Some of the whitetail deer, there were some breeding operations nearby, but some of them were not. Some of these positives were up in the panhandle of Texas. Some of these positives are happening on elk and red deer. You don't hear much about that. So you got to be real careful what you read because some of it is, is far from accurate. Is it, in your opinion, more deer die at the hands of Texas Parks and Wildlife than CWD itself? It's not just my opinion, but also the facts. To this date, there has not been one single deer die directly from CWD in Texas. Not one single deer. Instead, deer are killed purposefully to look for it, or to remove any remote possibility of them having it, but not one single deer has died in Texas as a direct result of late-stage onset chronic wasting disease. To date, 50,000 permitted breeder deer 
have been purposely killed and tested searching for CWD. To date, nearly 10,000 wild native triple T deer have been purposefully killed and tested searching for CWD. And to date, nearly 20,000 wild deer on high fence release sites have been purposefully killed and tested searching for CWD. So grand total to date, more than 80,000 deer have been purposefully killed looking for CWD. So yes, Carlos, the data confirms your question is correct. Being we are in a day and age of vaccines, um, you know, I got to ask this. Is there a vaccine the government could miraculously produce that could provide a preventative or cure? Well, I wish there was. And, and right now the answer is there are no known vaccines or cures at this time. But there's a ton of both genetic and nutritional research that shows certain genotypes are more resistant to CWD. In other words, there's stacks of peer-reviewed research that shows mineral deficiencies that have very positive impacts of preventing or reducing CWD. So at present, those two main research components appear to have been largely ignored by the state agencies. And that will, again, mean that private sectors will once again step up to help solve the CWD issue, just as we've done in the past. So that there is compelling research out there showing that there are genetic traits that can be bred for, that can be selected for, that are less likely to get CWD. And there are trace minerals that have been researched and proven in peer-reviewed research, articles, journals, all of that stuff, proving that you can reduce, you can limit, eliminate and almost stop CWD. But those research findings have mysteriously been ignored. Interesting. Um, let's say a hunter harvests a wild deer that is CWD positive and he is completely unaware. And he decides to make some, uh, you know, we'll say chicken fried backstrap topped with gravy and maybe some. Uh, <laughs> My favorite. Yeah. And uh, maybe some fresh deer sausage for breakfast. Okay. So is meat from a CWD positive deer going to affect human consumption? It's not because the meat is a part of the muscular system, like we mentioned earlier. And, and it's not part of the central nervous system. And that's where CWD has its impact. So if you don't eat any part of the central nervous system, if, if you're not going to eat the brain and the spleen and the, and the spinal cord, um, but only eat the meat, then you cannot be impacted by CWD because it doesn't operate in the meat. I personally know several people that consume meat from harvested elk and mule deer that later tested positive for CWD, and they had no negative impact to them or their family. Um, so despite the outlandish left-leaning media articles produced about CWD and zombie deer and apocalypse deer, you cannot get CWD from eating the meat. It is said a select number of wild deer are tested after they've been harvested at various strategic CWD check stations throughout the state. Uh, state of Texas here. If it doesn't affect human consumption and it's naturally occurring with no cure, 
um, you know, what, what is the point? Why do hunters have to stop and test their deer at these check stations? Yeah, the, re- the reason is for surveillance. In other words, when a CWD positive deer is found, additional testing in that immediate area, surrounding area, is done to see if m- more deer near- nearby are affected. So instead of TPWD going out and shooting deer outside of regular hunting season, like a few other states have tried, you know, you've heard about it and going out in the summer and all that stuff, they are leaning on hunters' help by using the check station so that a state biologist can man the check station but then have, you know, three or four counties or portions of counties and hundreds of hunters come to that biologist as opposed to that biologist trying to go out to three or four hundred properties. They can set up a check station and say, hey, guys, you know, we need your help. So, you know, we know there's a positive CWD in this general area. So we're, we're asking you, we're, we're hoping that you will bring us this deer and uh, bring it to us and, and help us do the surveillance. So they're really, it, it, it's increased surveillance. It's increased sampling of the immediate area of a known CWD positive. Is there any way to get around having to stop at these check stations, maybe, uh, you know, fully processing your deer at the ranch before you leave, uh, just bringing the meat or antlers? You know, I, I'm not an attorney, so I can't give legal advice like that because I'm, I'm not sure of all all the ways to get around it. I do know there's been instances where, like, say, the deer never leaves the ranch. In other words, we're going we're gonna to harvest the deer, we're going to process it, we're going to put it in the freezer. I'm not taking the head off site. I'm not, you know, I'm not traveling anywhere. And so I I think in that case, you know, there's an argument that you don't have to drive it 25 miles down the road and potentially, you know, uh, drag that deer all over the place he wouldn't go. But what they're asking for you, they they want you, if you do kill a deer in that particular area and you're driving down the highway, again, now you're, you're spreading that animal out. If you left the entrails and the, you know, the skeleton, parts of the skeleton on the ranch, you got the head with you, you got the meat with you, you're scattering that animal all over the place. And so they're saying, hey, stop by the check station, you know, just let us check this animal for, again, for additional surveillance. So I'm sure there's some exceptions, and I'm sure there's probably some loopholes in there if that animal never leaves the property, if, if you don't separate that animal's body you know what I'm saying? Um, I, I'm sure there's probably some steps in there that could be taken, but honestly, I'm not a lawyer. I don't I don't know all the details. But but that's the that's the the reason because most people leave part of the animal behind, take some of the animal with them, and you can imagine if it was a buckhead, they're taking it to a taxidermist. If it's meat, they're taking it to a processor. You know, and then they left part of that meat behind. You know, heck, you might even take the the skin to a tannery. So so that animal, in theory, could be going three or four or five different directions. So, you know, the check station at that point is kind of a a last-ditch, you know, testing effort to just make sure that you're not testing, uh, spreading that animal all over the place. How far do you see government entities taking CWD? You know, if you'd asked me that before yesterday, um, (laughs) I'd have had a shorter answer. (laughs) But, you know, as of yesterday... Uh, and the most recent actions, I, I'm not sure that I, ha- I can see an end in sight because the most recent sur- recent emergency rulemaking changes, they did not consult with any stakeholders outside of their own narrow choosing. 
They did not consult with any of their committees designed specifically for such cases, such as their CWD task force committee. They didn't even consult with their CWD task force committee. They did not consult with their deer breeders user group, nor did they consult with their very own white-tailed deer advisory committee. So the new rules were created literally by a handful of administrators in Austin. I talked with Governor Abbott's office this past Friday, last week, and they were not even aware of any rule ma- emergency rulemaking by the state agency, but yet two business days later, the entire industry was notified by a simple email. Talk about a bombshell surprise to the industry and the stakeholders that were purposefully excluded. That was most likely not the best approach to foster future relations with such a large constituency and permit users, in my opinion. They're really focusing on on breeder facilities. Do you think they could start, you know, randomly entering, you know, game ranches, hunting ranches, and and start testing deer there? Yeah, again, with with zero involvement or participation by impacted stakeholders, it's difficult to say. I don't think they'll start shooting deer from the helicopter again like they did in Medina County or go back into the low-fence pastures to shoot free-range pregnant does like they did that summer with the mule deer in the Waco Mountains in far west Texas. But they sure could involve more of their stakeholders to gain more support for the programs if they worked with them. You know, recently they ran through a new mandatory fee on the statewide private ranches utilizing their MLD permits, despite more than 80% public comment opposing it. But they needed money bad, they were going broke, so they disregarded their own constituents and forced them to pay to play with the MLD permit. So it would not be a stretch, based on what I saw yesterday, it would not be a stretch by anybody's imagination for them now to force CWD sampling from those same folks they just held hostage. All other TPWD deer-related permits except one require CWD sampling, so forcing MLD cooperators is definitely not a stretch. Once the live animal testing procedures were well-tested and incorporated, I tried to get TPWD to allow me to start live testing free-ranging deer as part of this CWD statewide monitoring program. This this was years ago, this was seven, eight years ago. And I thought it was a great idea to to throw it out there and say, hey, let's let's start testing live animal, uh, uh, free range, low fence animals, because we got the the technique. Private sector developed it. They would not even consider it at that time. But I wonder, had they allowed me to start way back then testing live deer, live testing free-range deer, how much different the landscape would look now. Today we are speaking with wildlife biologist Macy Ledbetter of Spring Creek Outdoors. Uh, Macy, what can we ranchers, hunters, and breeders do to keep our way of life, our heritage, and, and our livelihood going? You know, that's, that's hard to answer. Just, I mean, that, that's a big old question. And, and so I think the obvious stuff is, is to begin with active involvement in issues that, that impact your values and your heritage and your livelihood. Today, the rules for many are being created by only a very few. 
Active involvement could mean joining a like-minded association, could be casting a vote, could be financial support, could be in-person support, and it could even be activism. So many people these days are quick to criticize, but short on action. So if you don't like something, do something about it. If you don't do something, then don't complain about the outcome. So hold those in leadership position responsible. If you don't like the results, vote them out and replace them. If they can't be voted out, better understand how they were put into that leadership position and who put them there and why and how they hold them accountable for those actions. So inactions is the worst thing you can do. If you don't like it, do something about it. If you can't vote them out, understand how they got appointed to that position and why they got appointed to that position and make some noise and hold those people accountable for their actions because every action has a consequence. If these government entities are so big on scientific evidence, uh, you just talked about it a bit, a bit ago, why are they turning up their nose to a lot of CWD evidence? Well, it, it should be very obvious and, and clear the nose on, on their face that they're not so big on scientific evidence unless it benefits them directly. So if the evidence contradicts their plans, kind of gets ignored as if it doesn't exist. In fact, some very compelling scientific peer-reviewed research papers have mysteriously been deleted from some of the databases recently, and, and we're working hard right now to go find those missing research papers that point directly to some of that nutrition and some of that trace element components to better manage CWD that we talked about. They have been removed from government databases, deleted. And, and we're recovering some of them, and we're, we're still working on the other. So there's been very little accountability held recently, and that likely needs to change. Rules and regulations are being reinterpreted, reinterpreted and created in the dead of night, behind closed doors, in total secrecy, and that needs to stop. The old system of debate, sharing complete and accurate data, and inclusion to work towards an agreeable solution – Looks like it's long overdue, long over with, and long overdue in dealing with CWD. Instead, partisan politics, personal agendas, and emotions have ruled, and we need to get back to the science-based approach to solve these issues. Has there ever been legal action, uh, litigation, or lawsuits regarding CWD, the people, and, and TPWD? Yeah, regarding CWD specifically, there has been a few cases. One of them was in Medina County way back when first the CWD first started. Um, and then more recently, there's a case going on in Hunt County right now. It's just in the very beginning stages of that legal process. So legal avenues are really time-consuming and hard for individuals to undertake. So so very few of them have been successful. So it's, it, it, you know, it, it's... Goliath, you know what I mean? It's just a little guy and a big guy kind of a deal. And so that that's rarely very successful. So there has been some litigation. There is continuing some. 
and there may be some in the near future uh, as of yesterday. But as mentioned earlier, you know, activism and participation with other like-minded individuals will likely be the best steps moving forward. Legislative actions can be effective too, but those two take time and nowadays a whole lot of money to be effective. So there's legislative avenues um, because the legal avenues aren't very user-friendly right now. The, the atmosphere is, is such that it's probably not conducive for an individual to go at it, you know, one-on-one. Macy, before we wrap this up here, uh, if you could speak with or present scientific information to Texas Parks and Wildlife, what would it be? What would you tell them? You know, I have spoken with and continue to speak with Parks and Wildlife on multiple occasions. I've testified at both the Texas State Capitol in Austin and the U.S. Capitol in Washington, D.C. about chronic waste and disease. I have collected both soil samples and plant clippings for nutritional analysis from more than 500 different ranches throughout all ecoregions of Texas. I have presented evidence, both scientific and cursory, to the interested parties and begged for additional research and examination. I helped create the nation's first ever live animal chronic waste and disease testing techniques that are now used by many other states in the United States and even a few foreign countries. I have compiled impressive peer-reviewed and cursory data sets regarding feed supplementation to help combat CWD and just recently traveled to Minnesota to meet with some of the nation's top human Alzheimer's researchers to learn on a molecular level how copper supplementation affects brain function. Now, Alzheimer's and CWD are not the same, but they do share many similarities with regards to folding prions in the brain. Actual research data is pointing to real breakthrough possibilities. And just like with the live testing procedures, it appears once again that private sector will continue to lead the way in combating chronic waste and disease in Texas since state agencies apparently are unwilling to step up and meet the challenge. Macy, a big thank you for coming on the Wild Buck Podcast. Thank you, Carlos. It's always a pleasure to be with you and talk with you, and and I enjoy the show all the time. So you reach out to me as often as you need. There you have it, how CWD is affecting deer hunting as well as the lives of our beloved whitetail deer right here in Texas. Find Macy on Facebook and Instagram at Spring Creek Outdoors and SpringCreekOutdoors.com. See more Wild Buck podcasts and videos on WildBuck.net and give us a follow on Facebook and Instagram. If you enjoyed this, please like comment and share with someone who loves the improvement well-being and health of white-tail deer thank you for listening to the wild buck podcast for more hunting content information and photos follow wild buck on facebook instagram youtube and subscribe to our podcast